Hello and welcome to another edition of Getting Hammered. I'm your co-host, Victor Mattis, along with Mary Catherine Ham, who's still under the weather. And we didn't want to subject our listeners to 45 minutes of a very scratchy, smoky voice, Mary Catherine, although that would be a very popular podcast as well. But we have a very special guest host today. This time it is the one and only Matthew Continetti, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon, and author of the hot new book, The Right, The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism, which I read cover to cover. That's a big deal. That's because I paid you to. I read it from cover to cover. Whereas I'm still in the middle, by the way, of Bonfire of the Vanities. That's a long book. It is a long book, but I'm seeing how people, why people would call it like a masterful novel or one of the great novels of all time, because it's It's a slow burn, and then it all comes together. And what I'm seeing right now, Matt, is all these forces arrayed against Sherman McCoy. Right. And how they all have, from the very first chapter with the mayor and thinking, what does he have to do with anything, to saying they all have a motive, and he's going to be the top. I see what's happening. Well, you know, Vic, with Bonfire, I always think of it as kind of one of those big C-130 transport planes that takes a little Mm -hmm. bit of time to get off the runway. But once they're in the air, they kind of soar. And so that's the... The plot of that novel takes a bunch of chapters, kind of rev up momentum. But by the time you're going to get to a chapter called Death New York Style. Oh, yeah. And when you do, I think you're going to enjoy that. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of literature. I can't wait because I just finished a chapter last of The Great Smokers. Also very good. Yes, it's very good. It's it's just all these great little details. I felt like I spent way too much time in the Bronx DA's office. I feel like, ugh. Well, thank you for having me Well, thank uh, you. I feel very uncomfortable. Sitting for Mary Catherine Ham. I know. You know, Mary Catherine is a close friend of mine. Yes. I've known her for 15 years easily. And she has such devoted fans that she I feel does. a lot of people, I just don't turn this podcast <laughs> off in disgust. I was going to say, when you please, hear my voice please instead don't of press, Mary stop. Catherine. Please you know? don't I mean, press they're stop. all, yeah. and I don't know if I can be as bubbly as Mary Catherine. You, you know, because she's what, always no, powering I know, through. I know, she has, and she, she, she has her modulation of voice. Oh, it's, she does everything. You can't compare. No, you can't compare. No, no, no. So I'm just here to kind of bounce yeah. ideas off of you and kind Wonderful. of talk about what's going on. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, you did leave uh, out one of my titles. I have many titles. Oh yeah. Now. Well, oh, oh no. Wait a minute. Let me. Th- okay, go ahead. I am now a senior fellow at AI, as well as the Patrick and Charlene Neal Chair oh. in American <laughs> Prosperity. At the American Enterprise Institute. You the only a, reason you I have say a chair. That, you have a chair. I do have a chair, oh. several, but I do also, I do have an official chair mm-hmm. at AI in American Prosperity, and I only bring that up because on the day I was named to the chair, yes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average collapsed about five hundred points. It was <laughs> late in June. It was one of those bad days. So I got a lot of work to do. Do you have any ideas? Coincidence. If you have any ideas on how to restore American Prosperity. Please let me know. I'll let you know in 2024. You are teaching a, a class, by the way. I am. I'm teaching that this week as well, which is why I, I need to get my pep up here. I've been teaching for the, my students at the Hertog Political mm-hmm. Studies Program, yeah. which is a summer program I've been involved in now for about six years. What what kind of a teacher are you? Let me ask this. Because, I, you know, are you are you no-nonsense? Are you stern? Are you like when you were the, the editor here at the mm-hmm. Free Beacon, or are you a little bit more engaging? What are you like? No, you know, it took me a few years of teaching to realize that I should probably listen to the students a little bit, especially in seminar classes, you know. So I've been working on that. We call it pedagogy. 
you know. Yes. And that's uh, so I've been working on my my pedagogy and trying to spur more class discussion, and I think it's I think it's working. But you know, if a student annoys me, it's hard for me to restrain myself. You know, so that does happen sometimes. I I I think if I were a teacher, much like as I give speeches, as yeah. you know, for, for in, in journalism and whatnot, I would want to be everybody's friend. Well, you were a great teacher. Oh, I was. No, you were, you taught me about disco fries. <laughs> You've taught me the right way Thank to you, do a true. bar crawl. Yes. Um, you and I are co-founders you, yeah. of a very famous spring bar crawl that went for many years. It did go for many years until, you know, I think if we attempted it to, to today, we would we would be dead. We We'd might be get dead through by the, maybe the a second or third bar. Second, second or third, third bar. bar. That's right. And many of our colleagues would not make it through either. I wanted to let you know, by the way, you were asking about my lunch. And this is what our listeners love to hear, really. They, they're here for this. If the ones who have not turned us off yet <laughs> and really hoping to God that you know, next you really, week she's back. Look, when Special Report, if they know Brett Baer is not going to be there, oh, Vic, they, they have him record like a special segment. You know, you yes. have to, we have no. to have some way to I, insert I Mary that's, Catherine that's into the like, program. That's going to be like next week, just to soothe the listeners. Because I think, and also when I start, by the way, and I start the show and I say hello and welcome, I think some of the, the moms get scared that it's the sub beacon. And they immediately reach to turn it off because I'm going to say welcome to another edition of the sub. But do you start this show every week, or uh, does she? Does Mary Catherine? She sometimes? does. Oh, she does. So, she yeah. does. so that and, and and so and she has her own very unique and wonderful way. But what I want to say is, we were just at this Japanese restaurant, and for listeners in the Northern Virginia area, I highly recommend. It's called Yuraku on Fort Myer. It is a new. It used to be where the old Mexican restaurant is. Nobody goes there because of it's a bad location. Great sushi, extremely reasonable prices especially wow. now, and generous portions. That cannot last. So <laughs> no, please, It's rare that that's all together. Go to Yuriko. Okay, let me ask you this, because you're a Japanese expert. You studied it in Colombia. This is something that, well, you know, I was with uh, former Attorney General Barr yesterday. And oh, we were talking excuse, about how we both, me, studied, yes. we both studied East Asian languages at Colombia. He, of course, many decades before I arrived, but even though he was far ahead of me in years, he was more far-seeing because I studied Japanese, but then he studied Chinese. So even Mandarin. back there in the early oh. 70s, he had a he better had idea insight. of which country was going to be a major competitor. That's uh, that, that, the one and only Bill Barr. You walk in, they greet you. What do they say? Yeah, shy must say. Okay. Yes. Do you know how to respond to that? That's my question. I can tell you. Do you know? Tell me. You don't. Okay. I, I did some research into this recently because yes. you and I both like this show, Tokyo Vice. Yes, I love it. And there's a lot of irashaimase yeah. in there. And it occurred to me that I'd never have heard the expression to say back. Yeah, what do you do? Do you just awkwardly you wave, bow? You can maybe tilt your head slightly. Because, but that's just something yes. they say. Because It's like welcome, right? Hello, greetings. Yes, in that very specific circumstance. Because I, I, I was like, I looked into it myself. What do they say? And it's Arashaymase. And I said, I'd love to say that back to them, but that would make no sense. It doesn't. And, no. they, and you know, there's a whole Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry David says it back. Oh, no. And it causes a lot of friction. A lot of friction, Val. A lot of friction. That would be a very Larry David thing to do. You learn a lot of things on the show. You know what else you learn? The president has COVID. Yes. Let's get to the news. Okay, so this is just breaking, by the way, and so I'm throwing this at you because I gave you some list, of, some ideas of topics. And of course, this just happened today. President Biden has COVID, but he has sent out a video on Twitter to reassure us he's doing fine. 
The doctors tell us it's very mild. He only experiences fatigue. So basically, no symptoms. It's basically <laughs> the same, right? Different? Okay, so no difference. He's on Paxlovid. Should we be panicking? Because he's 79 and he's Joe Biden. I know you're throwing this at me, but yeah, I, I, I just want to, you know, reassure everybody. I, my pundit license allows me yeah. to talk about <laughs> on any, any number of topics, no, any number of topics at without any preparation. Yeah. That's what it no, means to good. be I, a pundit. Have, I'm so looking at you. Have no I just notes. Took you the have course. no notes. Yeah, I just redid the test a few weeks ago, so I have my renewed pundit's license. What strikes me about this story is that he's on the Paxlovid. Yeah, because yeah. a few things. One, uh, not everyone takes Paxlovid. Mm-hmm. And he's already immunized. And then, I don't know if you've heard about the the Paxlovid rebound. No. But I know of a few cases where the patient takes the Paxlovid, but then the COVID comes back, often more intense. So I'm I'm following that a little bit and trying to see, you know, why exactly. Maybe they're just overly cautious. They want to give him everything. Also, do you think this is the first time he's had COVID? Well, look, it's the first time he's tested positive, put yeah, it that way. Yeah. You know, I have never tested positive for COVID. Is that right? I, and I think I've had it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. But I've never tested yeah. positive. And, you know, my philosophy is if you don't test, you don't, you don't have, have it. it. No, that was my big mistake. And you could say this on this show, which is sponsored by Ivermectin, by the way, which is, you know, that was the biggest mistake ever was test. I went to a, pub, I went to a testing site. So you got oh, the Arlington County yeah. Department of Public oh, Health. No, you can't do and that. they want to know everything about you. Who, you know, who's in your house? How are you isolating from your children? And then they send children? it to Bill Gates. Oh, and it goes yep, right up there. <laughs> right in his hard right drive. There, yeah. He still uses the floppy disks. He does. They're in his mansion in <laughs> that's, that's Redmond. Right. That's right. Know. And we're perfect. So there's that. And, and of course, we wish the president well. And I'm also going to say, at least he doesn't have cancer. Speaking of which, on Wednesday, President Biden delivered a major climate speech in beautiful Massachusetts, it's lovely this time of year, but he was in Somerset, and the backdrop was this former coal power plant. I, it looked like Chernobyl. I have a story about that. Go ahead. So he was in Somerset, Mass. Uh-huh. I was just up in that area last month. I go to Rhode Island every year, vacation. Oh, yeah. Somerset's Your right across the bay. Yeah. So I cross, And it's so funny because I, growing up, I would visit that part of the country every, as a child mm-hmm. because my mother is from Bristol, Rhode Island, which is Lovely. across the, the bay from Somerset, Mass. Wow. And I would see this massive power plant. There was many a coal power plant in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And then in the around the late 90s, early aughts, looked like they had the big cooling towers. Uh-huh. Well, so here I am driving my family around Rhode Island and Massachusetts in late June of this year. And I keep wondering, where is this plant? Where? And now I now find out. Go. Now I know. It's Joe coming. Biden did it. Yes, he that's took, right. He took away a memory of my he youth. He took away, and I'm sure it was perfectly safe. <laughs> but look, the fish, they rarely found a fish with three eyes yeah, in the say, water there in the bay. I don't know if you want bay. to get like the scrod from- uh, Oh, it's the from, best. From it's, the, that's my favorite part of the country. And I felt a little bit, you know- Yeah, robbed. But a little bit robbed. And also as though the Biden was kind of on my turf. Yes. You know, like, yes, I don't right. live there well, either. But you know, like, I, hey, that's he, he belongs in Delaware. This is this is way out of he's way out of his. There range, are there right? are you know Somerset's not far from Fall River, and there are two very well known Fall River liberal Democrats, and one is E.J. Dion. Okay, from Fall River, yes. Massachusetts, Brookings Institution. Can I guess the scholar. other one? Yes, Barney Frank. Well, Barney's from that area. Yeah. Right. Well, I wasn't even thinking. About, I was thinking of the late Mark Shields. Oh, also from that area. Fall River, yes. Isn't that funny? So. A very large Portuguese town. 
Yes. None of the people we mentioned are Portuguese. But okay. <laughs> that's interesting right, that that's you right. bring that up. I do. I know. And I, I believe Emeril Lagasse is from there, too. So he talked about $2.3 billion in disaster prevention relief, offshore wind farms in the Gulf of Mexico. But, and he gave a very serious speech about how dire the situation is with our climate, right? So I'm wondering, why didn't he just declare a national emergency? Because everybody was asking, you must declare. People shut down the Beltway. Did they really? They, they shut down part of the Beltway, protesters did, and they wouldn't let traffic through. And famously, this video of a guy who said that if he didn't get, he was on parole, and if he couldn't get to his job on time, he was going to go back to jail. And the protester says, we will make way, we will leave when President Biden declares a national climate emergency. Mm-hmm. And so why didn't Why didn't he? Well, I think he realizes that he doesn't have the authority to do that. And, and if he did try to do it, he would encounter a lot of pushback from the courts. But, you know, this does highlight Biden's problem, which is mm. he was elected by pretending that he's a moderate, and yet he's facing these pressures from the left-wing base of his party. And yeah. the result is that he just disappoints everybody now. And then and you see that in the approval rating. That's right, because it's down to, I think, 36% in the latest, and some are lower, because people are upset that he's done too much, and other people seem to be upset that he hasn't done enough. Exactly. That's a bad spot to be in. What about these executive orders? Can he just do all of this then, using his executive orders? They don't mean anything. Nothing's going to happen. The planet's still going to get hotter. Well, I mean— All I'm, this is—see, is yeah. they're, they're, they're basically moving money around, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to get money— to, to basically their friends who yep. own these green companies. A lot of these companies are in China, by the way. And moreover, we just had this big uh, Supreme Court case, Huge. the EPA case, yep. where w- w- it's not up to the regulatory agencies as much anymore. Congress is right. going to really have to figure this out. And I won't take, just to go on a rant for a little bit, I won't take any of them seriously until Biden gets out there and he says, here's my green plan. I want Congress to appropriate $100 billion mm-hmm. so we can build nuclear power plants oh. throughout this country. Clean, renewable energy, power, yeah. did no, really powerful compared to you know, solar panels, right? What about the wind farms? I've just mentioned that in the Gulf of Mexico. They're killing farms. all the birds. <laughs> he did have a plan, right? The plan was that he was going to reduce carbon emissions by 50% by the year something like 2050? 2050 is what they want to do. If you He'll took be that, 200 by then. If you, he will be. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, he remembers the time before the coal, uh, <laughs> burning right. coal. Yeah, 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 for, that's right. So he was there before fuel. and then after. Those, those targets are totally unserious. Right. I was speaking to an expert in the energy markets a couple of weeks ago. He was saying, if you really took those targets seriously, it would be a Great Depression. You'd crash the yeah. economy. We got, a, you know, we got a taste of that during the first lockdowns and covid where everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, there were a bunch of stories about, oh, look, nature's coming back. Nature's right, coming yes. back. But then even then, the Na- New York Times ran a story recently where they said, well, you know, nature came back, but it wasn't all great. <laughs> even then, even when we shut everything down, the no, New York Times finds a way to blame because us. remember that because they talked about dolphins had reappeared somewhere near the Hudson or oh, something yeah, they're like all, that. Oh, yeah, they're was, all over now. It was, like, it was like the blip in the Marvel movies, right? <laughs> we were in the blip. We were in the, the blip, they were in the blip, and all these things came back, and the fish and everything, and, and birds. Okay. But it's like the, the, the thing you don't hear as much anymore is energy independence, right? That used to be a thing. We want to be energy independent. Well, we are. And so we, I mean, we got that. We got, th- we got that. Check that box. <laughs> I was going to say, what is the plan? I get the sense there is no. And you know, our yeah. emissions are falling. Yeah. 
thick. We're oh, not, yeah. oh, our yeah. carbon emissions are falling. The problem is not the United States. Uh-huh. The problem is India and China. Yeah. Until That's they right. come up with a way to force India and China mm-hmm. to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, it's not serious. Oh, but why would either one of those countries want to do that? Because greenhouse gas means economic development. Yeah. And you have hundreds of millions of people Mm -hmm. living in dire poverty in both of those countries. So, again, you could have an affirmative plan where you're like, look, we're going to help you build, in India's case, maybe not China's, we're going to help you build the nuclear power plant so you can cut your emissions. They won't do it. It's not serious. And I did want to get to, I mean, I made a reference at the beginning of this segment about cancer. President Biden at Somerset gave the speech and he said something to this effect. Let's play that clip. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. It had to put on their windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Okay, so let me uh, repeat that. He says you, you had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. Yeah. Man. Does the president have cancer? It's a complicated sentence structure. I think he's meant have had. It, 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 it goes against had. my, you know, speaking skills to say it that way. I, I really right. had to look because you want to say it right. the other way. But in any there's event. one thing we know about our president. He, he and the English language are not natural allies. <laughs> That's right. And That's so right. I think he was clearly misspeaking. And be, be, he just seems yeah. out of it. He seems out of it all the I time. Know. You know, I, He did have, because he did have like a melanoma type cancers before removed Very you know, basal cell uh, but is he saying that that cancer had to do with the emissions well i think he's kind of maybe alluding to like aaron brockovich or something or kind of those environmental situations That's a where, civil action right where you have cancers that's right widespread i was kind of surprised you know when something he was he, by the way yeah. he was responsible for the cancer moonshot at the end yes of barack obama's presidency so uh, big where's that joe you know well, he passed it on to his vice president Oh, she's working yeah, on it now? Okay. We'll get to her. Well, then, we'll get to her in a second. <laughs> that, believe me. I, I, I guess wanna, a, yeah. a cure is imminent. Yeah, it, any any moment now. But it was funny wa- watching him. You know, you know how sometimes he gets really riled up and he starts throwing things in there and gets, and gets slightly, excited. He gets excited. I'm surprised he didn't mention acid rain. Or it's like when he told yeah. my favorite Biden stories, yeah. you know, it was when he and his dad saw a gay couple kissing in the 1950s Delaware. <laughs> and he says that his dad turned him and goes, it's all right, son. They love each other. Now, what is going on there? Yeah. That's the most Mm -hmm. implausible Joe Mm -hmm. Biden story I have ever heard. He said he also saw two women kissing each other in the 1950s in Coachella. And he remembers. It was right before. Okay. I want to move on to the fist bump. Can we talk about the fist bump for for, for a moment here? The president, the president was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So not Riyadh, which is interesting, Jeddah, last week. I had this very important meeting with Saudi, the, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, as they call him. And we'll talk about tangible results in a second. But everybody is talking about this fist bump. Everybody was upset, not just the right, but also the left. Fred Ryan, the Washington Post. Everybody's like, this is terrible. I, I want to ask you, first of all, do you think this was a spontaneous sort of here you go fist bump? Or do you think this is something they probably debated within the administration for a long time and say, this is what you should do? Well, while he, when he departed for the Middle East, some White House aides were quoted on background saying he wasn't going to shake any hands 
Okay. And then he started shaking hands yeah. when he was in Israel. He can't help it. It's a human And thing. he shook hands with other Saudi officials, apparently. But in the case of MBS, he gave the fist bump. The, the point of the fist bump, I don't, I don't really care about the fist bump mm. um, at all. But I will the problem with this trip was it achieved nothing. Wow. And moreover, he lied about it because what happened was he went all, he came out of that meeting with MBS and mm-hmm. said, oh, I told him to his face that yes. he killed Khashoggi. Yes. And then they asked yeah. Saudi Jubair, oh, the minister of information or whatever he is these days, and he goes, oh, that didn't happen that way. And then Biden called Jubair a liar. So the whole thing was a mess. Like even who knows who's telling the truth, right. you know, but it, it still doesn't help repair relations with Saudi Arabia, which should have been the point of the trip because we have to prepare for the Iranian threat. I'm, su- I'm surprised you say there were no tangible results because, you know, he comes back from Saudi Arabia, gas prices down. Yeah, and got COVID. And <laughs> maybe it was from MBS. <laughs> from the fist bump. You never know. Yeah, yes. I wanted. I was going to ask you about that moment where he says that he had called out MBS and saying that this is the, the guy is responsible for the death of Jabal Khashoggi and then this back and forth that happened. You wrote about in the Free Beacon in your editorial, your column last week, we shouldn't necessarily take Biden at his word. Well, before Biden left, too, he gave an interview with the Israeli news channel 12. And the anchor asked him, you know, are you willing to use force to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon? He said, as a last resort, yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as, as I reflected on that answer and I saw some of my friends in the foreign policy world saying, oh, good for Biden for saying that, I thought to myself, why should we believe him? He said that the situation on the border was seasonal. Yeah. You know, okay, well, that's a long season. Two million people have come over the border since he became president. And I believe Mayorkas just said the other day that the border is secure. Yeah, right. And then, you know, inflation started popping up last late spring of 2021. And he was like, hey, it's temporary. Yeah. It's still here. Yeah. You know, and then around this time, we're speaking for the end of July. But around this time last year, someone asked him, well, is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan inevitable? He said, no. Well, three weeks later, the Taliban was rolling through Kabul. And, of course, we had mm-hmm. the awful deaths of our of our servicemen in extracting as many U.S. nationals and, yeah. and friendly Afghan allies as we could. So, so why should we believe Biden now when he says he used force to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon? Did you think there were any tangible results from the Israeli part of the trip? Because I thought he did pretty well. In Israel. Well, the fact that the there speech. weren't any results was good. Yes. Yeah. Right. The there were fact no gaps. that he didn't have no gaps. the fact that he didn't come out with the new peace plan or he didn't demand that the yeah. Israelis halt settlements before anything happened. Oh, that's good. He went to Israel. He he you know, said he was supportive of Israel. He, he made a nice comment about his mom, I thought, that was interesting. That what did his, he say? Well, so his mother, he says, was a devout supporter of Israel. And that was always a and she was the most he said, I mean, this again, it's Blarney Joe, you know, but yeah. he claims that that was the part of his job in Senate for foreign relations for so many years that his mother liked most was his support for the state of Israel. So that was great. And then he went he went to the West Bank. He met with the boss and nothing happened. Yeah. So from my perspective, fine. Yeah. And, he, and he's not moving the, the embassy back. To no, he's not doing no, anything. No, no. But, you know, the thing is, though, uh, Iran is more important now. And it's yeah. a recognition that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict mm-hmm. is not is not the important thing. What's important is the Arab-Israeli conflict with Iran. And there we have to be foursquare on the side of the Arabs and the Israelis against Iran. 
And I don't really see that from Biden right now. Yes. I mean, they seemed obviously very determined for a very long time to return to the table. They still are. Mm -hmm. You know what? I I will say this. Can I say I'm I'm just going to share my feelings. This is how I feel right now. I want to hear. I'm partly envious of the U.S. negotiators for the Iran deal. Because I believe they've been living in Vienna now yes. for the last for year and a half. Year and a half, pretty sweet. Probably staying at the Bristol or the Hotel Zacher or the Imperial. Well, that's for a year why and a you half. know I they're sent st- maybe they're stretching it out the, on purpose. In the, for the first Iran deal, mm-hmm. he, when I was editing the Washington Free oh, Beacon yes. where we're recording this, I sent Adam Credo over to observe the negotiations. Okay. He was in Vienna and he kept wanting to go back. Oh, I'm I sure you're not living high on the hog. God knows what he was doing. No, I mean, Adam in is, Vienna. I lived in Vienna for I lived in Vienna for a year, right? As a student, I lived there for a whole year. I think, and I spoke with Adam about his time in Vienna. I think he did more, in many ways, than I did when I was there for a year. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's just he's he's a lot. We were talking about the president being gaff prone and how luckily the Israeli part was free of gaffes. But speaking of somebody also gaff prone. The vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, earlier this week, she spoke at the NAACP's 113th convention in Atlantic City. Do you know who really likes Atlantic City? No one. And she had this to say. Let's play that. We know, NAACP, that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies. Okay, you know, the the thing is about this argument that she makes where she equates people who support pro-life causes and people who support slavery, really. It's this, this is, you're, you're one and the same. They've been, we've been here before, controlling women's bodies, controlling people. That's her big thing. Mm-hmm. And then she also has the argument that, you know, the other side, you know, we always say, this is not a blanket, sudden, immediate ban on abortion from coast to coast, right? This is simply, we're, it's reverting to the states and the states can decide. And she says that, that that is being dishonest because a lot of these states have laws that ban abortion. And I was thinking, well, these people get elected, don't they? So there are people elect. Who are the people who elect them? Who would, why would they do this? Right, right. And, and, and I thought, you know, and the people who get off, obviously. Well, in some cases, some of the states have what they're called trigger laws, which are laws that have been on the books prior to the Roe decision in 1973 right. and right. now may it's a question of whether they are now enforceable. But then if, if the trigger law turns out to be enforceable and the people in that state don't like the extent of the ban, they can always vote for people who will change it. That's exactly what I'm going to say. And the funny thing is, it's not funny, it's sad, but the people who are the most upset about Dobbs and taking to the streets are usually in cities and states where they should have Nothing no changes. problems. California, New York. Massachusetts, for that matter, Legal Illinois. Legal to the point of birth and, yeah. and sometimes beyond. Okay. But I do get the feeling that the the rest of the media doesn't seem to care that Kamala said this. Do you get the sense that it's because they're probably like, yes, it's true, being pro-life is pro-slavery? I, I do. I, I mean, I think that she's representing a significant part of the population. I mean, what's missing is the third person involved, oh, yeah. which is the child. Yeah, right? we're, not I mean, to po- we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to speak about that. That's no. the thing, and you know that that is what Justice Alito says in his opinion makes abortion different mm-hmm. from so many other issues, which is that you have this this unborn life, which, as he pointed out in his decision, even the justices in 
Rowe and in Casey in 1992 said, yes, it's it's alive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, life does start at the point of conception. Personhood, much more debate. You know, people really debate that. But it is an unborn human life. And so the the state has to take that into account as well. And the, the... where Alito fell was leave it to the states, leave yeah. it to the states, because that's the way it was dealt with prior to Roe, and that's now the way it's going to be dealt with after Dobbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Ducey at Fox also tried to ask White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre the same question that, that we're talking about, about Kamala Harris' statement. She initially dodged, and then she seemed to double down in, in here in this clip. Following up on something, something the vice president said today, does the president agree with her that the recent Supreme Court decision on abortion access is similar to slavery? I have not seen her comments. I would like to see her comments for myself her before. Was, we know, NAACP, that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies. And today, extremist so-called leaders are criminalizing doctors and punishing women from making health care decisions for themselves. Well, she is correct. Today's decisions are criminalizing doctors um, and essentially taking the rights away from uh, women, uh, taking the freedom away from women, uh, uh, really uh, taking away people's privacy. That does matter, and that is important. Slavery, so the president but agrees. For me, I, I appreciate you reading out what she said. I need to actually see exactly uh, what was uh, uh, what was uh, what was said, and in what in what complete context. That's what I need to do as as a spokesperson for the administration. But I, I will say. Uh, that second part of what you just said, uh, the vice president is actually right. I just, I just at the top, I just laid out what women are going through in this country because of an extreme decision uh, that SCOTUS met, made. It's funny because it seems to be like a, a common line of hers, which is, I don't know, and I haven't seen it yet, or I haven't read it yet. But it seems to be working for her because with the exception of, I think, the Fox reporters, I think she basically is able to muddle through. She'll be up by the end of the year. Yeah, I think She's so. She's not long for this world. I don't know who's next. Oh, for the world of D.C. For the world Co- of D.C. Kareen is a nice, I've met her, oh, okay. personally very nice. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that, but I don't think she's going to yeah. last yeah. Uh, by January. But there's certainly, the administration decided to really double down on the abortion debate. Like, they're not going back, or there's no wiggle room for them, especially for this well, Catholic president, that they're just going to, they're taking that side to side strongly, and they're going to use, like, the attorney general is going to use all of his look, powers. you know, right? there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about what the ruling actually did. Mm-hmm. It's an issue that is very important to many liberals in mm-hmm. particular on the pro-choice side, obviously yeah. very important to many pro-lifers on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. But this is an, and it's also an issue that doesn't involve inflation or the economy. So th- that's why the Democrats want to talk about well, it. That's, and that's and it, seems to, to be, it about seems to that. be working in, in some of the uh, generic ballot questions. There was much asking. excitement in, in, in the mainstream about the latest congressional ballot showing it was tied 46 It's been a little bit of a bump for the Democrats. Do you, do you think, though, that it's, it's going to work, that you know they're going to constantly remind voters about this horrible ruling in Dobbs and that come November, that'll still be in their mind? Do you think that's going to be it? I don't. I mean, I don't What's think What's going to be on their minds? I think inflation and the economy mm-hmm. are going to be the number one issues. Yeah. And um, I think that, you know, you'll see some candidates on the Republican side, mishandle the issue, maybe be too extreme for yeah. their electorate. Yeah. You might also see some Democrats being forced onto the defensive when, you know, you have reporters who actually do their job, like our friend John McCormick, and actually yep. kind of expose how extreme some of these pro-choice politicians are. That's right. More so than what the, the original row ruling, right? 
Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, they want it legal up to the point of birth and sometimes after. You know what else could be on voters' minds in November? Mask mandates. So San Diego's unified school system announced the return in the heat of summer of mask mandates in classrooms. Obviously, this is only place in summer school. Unfortunate for those kids. But, the, you know, the president of the school system, her name is Dr. Sharon Whitehurst-Payne. She said it's happening. Get used to it. And if they don't like it, quote, they should just make it known that they don't feel comfortable and at that point just not return. Are we going to see, like, pushback to this, or are we going to actually go back to the way things were and say, oh, here we go again. Everyone put your mask back on. I, I mean, not in Virginia, where we're recording this. We mm-hmm. have a Republican governor, Glenn mm-hmm. Youngkin, and he has made it known that uh, the masks aren't going are, are to be voluntary, which they should be. What about in our school districts, your school district, my school district? Yeah, I mean, in, the, like, the People's Republic of Arlington, where, right. you know— they they do everything they possible the, to defy the governor. They fought the Yunkin decision, but yeah. I think that they, I think that they they would lose oh. if they haven't lost already. Mm-hmm. You know, in Philadelphia or earlier in the summer, Philadelphia brought some of their mask mandates back. I, I haven't been following that. I don't know how much it's, it's even enforced. Or, it's not widespread, is the yeah. thing. I I think it. I'm I'm skeptical. You know, we could have a big COVID surge or whatever yeah. it is in the fall. But I think the the American people are just kind of over it. I think so, too. But they seem very desperate to urge us on. Well, there's nothing more typical of a liberal than what that superintendent said, which is get over it. Yeah. Do what I say. Yeah, that's it. And the problem is, is that it it always engenders a political backlash. Right. You know who I find who's really good on this Besides the usual sort of the doctors who, who you see sometimes who, who get published in the Wall Street Journal and these places. But Alison Findlay, do you know, over at the Journal, and she's, she's on the editorial board, I guess. Yeah. And she covers a lot, and especially about the necessity or the lack of a necessity for infants to be vaccinated. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a whole other separate issue, right? Yeah. I mean. Because the, the fatality rate for little kids is 0.02%. I mean, it's very small. So. Yeah, you know, I I hate I hate this virus so much and everything it's done yeah. to our society and. Um, but the, but the other side of it ha- has gotten like they've gotten their second win because of the president now. And I was just watching on CNN, for example, they have their analysts telling the, these doctors say, "We told you this was going to happen, and the cases are skyrocketing, and it's time to put the masks back on because they're very effective." Well, you know that that would that would complicate the Democrats' plans to run this election on the abortion issue, wouldn't it? Well, you got to pick one. You, you, you're saying you can't be COVID. Both I don't think is angry is necessarily the winning issue for them in, in much of the country. No, I don't think so. I do think it's time to move on to a lighter note. So, Chris Cuomo, he's back in the news, right? The Daily Beast reports that after the disgraced brother of the disgraced governor, Andrew Cuomo, after getting fired by CNN. He approached his local firehouse in Southampton, in the lovely Hamptons of Long Island, to inquire about being a firefighter. According to the Daily Beast, it was a short conversation because, as the chief said, quote, it's a very time-consuming thing. There are monthly meetings and drills, and you have to meet percent- a percentage of your calls. That's why we don't have many celebrities, which is a great kicker, by the way. Why do, why do you think Chris Cuomo wanted to be a firefighter, Matt? What else is he doing? he got nothing else to do. He's very physically fit. He's very He's fit. He's a judo yeah. guy. Yeah. He uh, exercises. Yeah. You know, I could see him. You have family who are involved my, in the my emergency brother, rescue. My brother-in-law, Captain Bill Dwyer. Do you think Captain Bill, irrespective oh. of 
Chris Cuomo's yes. political affiliation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If he, if someone like Chris Cuomo showed up at Captain Bill's firehouse, do you think he'd be saying, "Okay, we'll give you an interview"? I, I think they would meet with him and yeah. talk to him. I mean, again, he's physically fit, right? Smart enough, and got nothing uh, else he's to got do. Nothing else to do, but the time commitment. But that's what's so unusual because. If he doesn't have anything else to do and he wants to be a mm-hmm. fireman, why are the long hours stopping him? I'll tell you why I think that. I'll tell you why I think he wanted. He just wanted to wear the T-shirts. He just wanted I think so. I see front. these guys all the time, including my brother-in-law and his buddies. They all get to wear ACFD. The, you know, I mean, yeah. you're, you put that on. You put that T-shirt on. And it's exclusive. On. You're saying I couldn't get one of those T-shirts just for me? I thought about it because, you know, I mean, people look at you as a hero. I have a, a cap, like a winter cap. So not wearing it now that has the Arlington firefighter logo. And I remember walking down the street in the wintertime and an engine comes by and some guys look over and they give me the nod. They probably becomes a new guy. Maybe he's so it's like uh, very select church. Yeah, maybe it is. And I think because he thinks, you know, I'm big. I look good in that shirt. This is what Chris Cuomo is thinking. I get to walk around like everyone wants to be a hero. I had that happen to me. You know, I have family who was in the Marines and I have Uh close friends who are in the Marines. So I have a USMC T-shirt. And a decade ago, someone asked me if I had served while I was wearing this T-shirt. I said, I said, no. And then, you know, but 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 maybe that you should really only wear paraphernalia of things that you but, have a personal well, is, connection to. This is this is the great debate. Uh, if if your child, if your child went, uh, obviously, if you're a kid of and you're a little kid, you could wear cool things like that, like Marines, right? But if your child went to and served in the armed forces, I, you could probably be allowed to wear like Marine Dad, right? Right. Right. So this is the thing I was going to say. So I went to uh, with the family. We went to Annapolis and we did a walking tour of the Naval Academy, and it was a fantastic tour. They, I'm glad they brought it back post-COVID. And, you know, the we were there on a Sunday. The plebes had just started that Thursday, so they were really fresh, you know, and getting broken down and memorizing, repeating rules in the hot sun, all the rules about firearm safety and everything. It was just great to see that. And then we went to the gift shop, and they had the shirts. I love these shirts. I guess they're called ringers. And it's the white T-shirt with the blue ringers on the collar and on the sleeves. I wanted to get I th- You know, I, I said I wanted to get it because when I, I do run, as some of our listeners know, it would inspire me to go that extra mile if I ran. And people might see me in that. My son said, please don't. He didn't want he, he you said, to be mistaken for yes, a naval veteran. He, he says, I really I have to earn it. You have to. Earn I don't it. I get. Well, you know, and that's what the firefighters told Chris Cuomo. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not enough get, to just, just get, get the T-shirt. Yeah, and maybe show up once a month and right. get the shirt and get the T-shirt. Now, yeah. you know, EMTs, it's a very intense lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And crazy stories. My brother-in-law delivered a baby in an elevator. <laughs> I, could, I could write about it. Could not actually do it. We were talking at the beginning of the show, and this is how we wrap it up at the end again, about bar crawls and drinking. You, you love a good drink, so do I. And I got great news for you. Because Mm -hmm. this is happening here, and it's local. It's local, Matt. Starting this week, and just in time for everyone's weekend, you can go to BLT Steak. You and I have been to BLT. We've been to BLT. Many times. Many many times. And you can order. And and so the BLT Steaks in major cities, so New York, Washington, D.C., and a few others, you could order yourself a Velveeta Veltini. Get ready for this. It's $15, which is pretty reasonable by today's standards for a a cocktail like that, a martini. Velveeta-infused vodka, 
with olive brine, vermouth, cheese drip, shells, cheese. This is the garnish part. Velveeta stuffed olives. Did I mention cheese? Would you try this? I would take a sip. <laughs> really? I think it's oh. basically like having queso. Oh. People like queso. Or did you get martinis worth it? Well, you know what's funny? We say, oh, oh, I, I, I can never drink a whole thing of queso. That's gross. You but would you totally ever, drink a lot of queso, Vic. Well, you, wouldn't, you don't think about it, but when you're you eat all those chips, in the you're chip. scooping That's it up. That's what I'm in saying. In your mind, it's the same thing with butter. My, my old friend, the late Michelle Richard, talked about all these people are like, I don't want butter in my dish. I love and butter. And he says, you, you see the, the pats they put on their bread? Yeah. It's like half a, by the time you're done. Right. Half a stick of butter. Right. And so, so you're saying the same thing? Spiked queso. You're, you're, you're thinking that I would have no problem. I don't know. I have very, I have gastrointestinal concerns about mixing melted cheese and vodka. Really? That I think, I think you, I think could be, a, it could be a situation. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You better be near like a bathroom for that. Okay. Although I, 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 and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at that. But I think that just wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and you can follow me on Twitter at Victorino Mattis. Of course, you can follow Mary Catherine at MK Hammer, and we can't wait to have her back and follow, please, <laughs> after, this, soon. after this episode. And please follow Matt Continetti at Continetti. Thank you, Matt, for doing the show today. Thanks, Vic. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Please go buy his book, The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism. Get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, other fine booksellers. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast.